Welcome to Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series on the hospitality tabletop industry. Now, here's your host, Dave Turner. Hello, everyone. I'm Dave Turner, and I'm your host here at Seat Yourself. First of all, before we get started, I want to wish everybody a happy September from the Tabletop Journal studios that we're here at today here in Baltimore on America's East Coast. I hope all of our American listeners have been enjoying a great and an extended Labor Day holiday weekend. This is episode number 91 of Seat Yourself. It's published the week of September 7th, 2020. And this episode of Seat Yourself, we expect it to run approximately 40 minutes or so. And today, we're very excited because we're welcoming back to Seat Yourself, Xander Lorenzen Hansen. And as most of you know by now, Xander is our resident expert when it comes to all things cocktails related. But today, we won't just be focusing on the cocktails, but rather the glassware that's used to serve them. This session, we're calling the psychology of the glass. Copenhagen-based Xander always brings his unique perspective to our podcast, and I expect today will not be any different. And of course, that perspective comes from his being the head of his own distribution company there, Scandic Bar, and his other venture, which he consults with people on all sides of the cocktail conversation, a company called Mixology International. And finally, as you may also know, Xander is president of the Danish Bartender Association, and he's on the advisory council of the International Bartenders Association. So with all of that, let's bring him on. Please give a big welcome to Xander Lorenzen Hansen. And everybody, I want to give a big seat yourself welcome to Xander Loritzen Hansen. He is back. He's talking beverages. And this time it's a little bit different. As I said in the intro, it's about the psychology of the glass. Xander, welcome. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to be back with you again. I'm curious as hell. I didn't know glass had a psychology to it. Yeah. So tell me what you mean by the psychology. I'm curious about that. Well, it's, to be honest, it's very difficult to to find the right term for it, but it's something that's been developed for over the last few years. It's a common thing. We all know it. It just doesn't really have a term. But it's basically how we interact with the glass. In all basic form, glass is a container of liquid. You pour something in and then you drink from it. That's the basic function of a glass. But there is so much more to it. And if you look at the psychology behind this, the philosophy is how a glass can change your perception of the cocktail. You see both on the visual effects where you could present and everything, but also the sensory where the glass can change the way you taste the cocktail. If you look at wine, it's, it's common in wine where the shape of the glass actually changes the, the scent and then later on the smell of the wine when, when you drink it. So the philosophy behind is, is already common. We haven't not just not really used it in the bar industry. Even though we use it, we just didn't have a word for it. One of the things I see on when I look at a glass is too, is it sort of sets the tone before I even have tasted the cocktail or even before I've drank the wine or tasted the wine. If I have a, let's say, a classic retro cocktail glass versus a something that I would call more modern, more contemporary, more minimalist kind of thing, I think it does change my expectations even before I've tasted what's inside 
the vessel, as you call it. So, uh, yeah, I get that. Probably does. I hadn't thought about it, but it probably does change our psychology a lot. Well, you, you can see it in, in a different point of view. As, as you mentioned, when you look at the glass, you already have, to some extent, a perception. If you are getting a cocktail served in a martini glass, you already have, to some extent, an expectation since it's served in martini glass. If it's served in, in an old-fashioned glass, you already have some expectations. And you can look at it in, in different ways, and there's not really one right way to go at it. But if you look at the, the sensory perceptions, you have smell, you have sight, you have taste. There are so many things that inflicts how you perceive the cocktail. So if you go into a bar and the bartenders give you a cocktail, the first thing you have is, is sight. So you see the cocktail, you see the glass, you see the surrounding, which already gives you an emotion attached to what is to come. Then you touch it, you, you feel the glass, the, the emotion you have of, of, a, of a, a hard, cold glass or uh, whatever shape and engravings is in the glass will help you for what is to come. And then when, when you smell it, glasses can inflict the smell in, in many different ways. And some taste we cannot taste. Cinnamon, you can only smell cinnamon. You're not able to taste it from your tongue. It's only from your nose. The glass can help with increasing or decreasing those flavors. And then you actually have, the, when, when you taste it, and when you taste a cocktail, so many uh, flavors, so many senses have been impacted, which you don't really know about until you taste it. So it happens on a conscious and a subconscious level. And the glass just have a very important role in a cocktail's overall uh, Im impression. Yeah, I, I think the first thing uh, that happens when being served a cocktail or, or a glass of wine is visually you see it. You see the colors in the beverage itself, but you also see the glass that it's sitting in. And then the next thing to me anyway is sort of the just the overall design of the glass. But then as I touch it, I get a feel for, is the glass thick? Is it very thin? Does it have a big, what we would call sham at the bottom of the glass, the big foot area? Is it, again, I, I used the term before, an old, uh, older design, a retro design, uh, and, or is it something that's very minimalist and, and clean lines? So there's all kinds of impressions going on even before the beverages touch my lips. Yeah, and, and there's, um, so that's the sensory part, but there's so much more. You already have uh, subconscious knowledge and expectations when, when you see it. If you get a really expensive wine and you pour it into a cheap glass, there's something wrong about that picture. You instantly know this is a really expensive wine. This doesn't really fit the picture and vice versa. So one thing you have to taste and the emotion attached to the sensory, but there's also a psychological effect working while you're being served a wine or a cocktail that has to fit your expectations. So if you go to a cocktail bar and, and you, you order a very expensive cocktail, the glass needs to fit the pricing of the cocktail, else something is instantly wrong with, with the cocktail because you expect, if you're ordering, a, a let's say, um, old-fashioned uh, $25, it has to be in a, in a real glass and not plastic. If you're certainly plastic, it doesn't really fit the pricing of, of the cocktail. So the psychology of the glass is, is much more than sensory. It's, it's the entire spectra from ordering a cocktail to tasting it, to serving it, to having the final expectation realized when you drink it. 
I'm glad you brought up the issue of expectations because we've talked for a long time on Tabletop Journal about the expectations. And we talk always about the dining experience, but it's equally true and maybe even a little bit more so as you get into the sensory part of it on the beverage expectations too. Because even before in today's world where you have Instagram, you have uh, these beautiful websites for bars and restaurants and, and TripAdvisor, Yelp, and all these other things, you already have built-in expectations of what you're going to experience before you even arrive at the establishment that you're going. So if you were wanting to go to this great cocktail bar and whatever you think a great cocktail bar is, and you walked in and it was, uh, I would say, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of a bar like Casablanca. You walk in and there's a bar there and, or maybe some great hotel bar, uh, cocktail bar, and all of a sudden they served you in a plastic cup. That would break up those expectations. They and I think as a guest, what we're all looking for is the continual, consistent reinforcement of the expectation we have when we came in. That's what, to me, makes up that great dining experience. And maybe even once in a while, we're pleasantly surprised, surprised in a good way. Because we don't go to places having, I don't think anyway, an expectation of a bad experience. Or you wouldn't go there. We're predisposed to a good expectation. And then when we get there, as long as all the elements to that formulate our experience, all of them are consistently, as you go right down the list through your time, that whether it's a bar and it's a cocktail experience or it's a restaurant and you're having a dining experience, and then maybe you have a pleasant surprise or two at the end or whatever, that's always a great thing. You actually mentioned it a few times now, I think, without knowing it. But what's what really interesting here is, is social media and Instagram. A big thing uh, within this idea, this philosophy, the psychology of the class is actually social media. Social media has truly pushed it to new limits. If you go on, on picture-based social media platforms, Pinterest, Instagram, even the Chinese 17, which is also quite popular, you, you see a lot of bartenders, chefs, influencers, private people expressing their love for cocktails with the glass, the setup. You have to write garnish, you prepare the, the cocktail. And in the beginning, it was the cocktail which was the focus point, but it's actually becoming more and more the glass. So you see, as you mentioned, like you, you, you go on uh, Instagram, you see a cocktail, you go to the bar. But over there, you, you have the psychology that you can you can use this psychology, this philosophy to start sell and commercialize. If you can create some amazing pictures using the glass, you will draw customers to your bar. And it's also a great way to, to show off. Many bartenders are using these techniques without even thinking about it when, when they are on social media to promote themselves, who they are. We're in a world where you want to be unique. And one way to be it is, is go on social media and make some good pictures. And using those classes to create new cocktails and the whole surrounding is, is a way to brand yourself. So you already see this philosophy all around but it's still a work in progress. This is not a, I don't have the, the final paper on it. It's, it's, it's a work in progress, but it's an interesting philosophy and psychology that you can see bars can use more and more to increase their revenue and increase their customer flow. 
Yeah, it's somebody who writes about this business, and we have obviously uh, a variety of platforms which we promote the uh, on-premise dining and beverage experience. We're always looking for great imagery. And because we read with our eyes, I mean, the visuals are, are really important and cocktails really, really give an opportunity for great photographers or even sometimes not so great photographers to show off a bit. And I think that cocktails can be as inventive as you want. Sander, with all this conversation about social media, and I know we, we, Instagram is the one that comes to mind quickly, but are, are there other instances on social media, whether it be Facebook, whether it be LinkedIn, whether it be Twitter, whatever, that glassware really plays a critical role? Probably, but it is a visual-based philosophy most when it comes to, to social media. Even if you go on Facebook, you will still use a picture. So it, by definition, it will be mostly picture-based social media platforms. And like the biggest one is 17 in, in China and Instagram in all part of the world, where you see it being used uh, more and more. And actually, what's also interesting, if, if you look at a customer in the old days, they came to buy an old-fashioned. They wanted old-fashioned, they got an old-fashioned. If you look at, at customers nowadays, it's not really the cocktail, like the, the specific cocktail old-fashioned they want. They want the experience, they want the atmosphere, the glass, the sensation, everything. And this is actually where the philosophy comes in. If you can use all the different elements, the shape of the glass, the, the weight of the glass, the environment, the pictures, the garnish, everything, then you can create something truly unique to your customers. Yes, they still want a cocktail, but at, nowadays they want so much more. They want an experience. They want so much more. And that is where this psychology of the glass with philosophy actually comes in. And if you can use the different tools available, I believe you will see an increase of, of customers. Through all of this, and in our other conversations we've had here on See Yourself, we've talked about cocktails as a marketing tool for a bar or an establishment. And I, I think that one of the things that's so wonderful about cocktails in particular versus wine or beer, and they're fine too, but cocktails can be so creative and you can use them to reinforce that brand imaging or reinforce the guest experience either through the ingredients you use. And of course, we're all using higher quality ingredients these days. But I think, and primarily, I, I think the guest is a much more knowledgeable guest than they've ever been. But but so you have better ingredients, more knowledge from the guest, but you can also, even in the naming and the, and the, the menu concepts of the cocktails, you can go ahead and use that as a reinforcing tool for uh, the brand of the restaurant or the bar itself. Um, yes, but I, I believe the main goal or main interest for customers is experience. And experience is many different things. Some customers want eco-friendly. So, so how you present the cocktails with either reused glass or paper straws, this is also part of the whole experience because then you have the site and you also have the, an emotional attachment. So there, there are many different areas to cover. They still want good cocktails. They still want craft and everything. But it's the whole experience that you come and pay for. And I believe the people will actually are more willing to pay more if they know that the experience you get is, is a valid one, is, is a true experience. And if you combine that with craft and the right glass and experience and atmosphere, then you will have something truly unique. I love when you say, you, you know, the experience and willing to pay more and all that, because at some level, it just, you know, it becomes, while it's an ex experiential kind of uh, situation, 
it's a business too. And operators should make more money, be able to charge more for more interesting cocktails, for lack of a better word. But by the same token, glassware producers should be able to create more interesting glassware and be able to market them at a higher price point too. It's, it's actually interesting. There's actually two points in that. So regarding for, for glass producers, to put this very, very simple, if you pour uh, a shot of whiskey in the traditional glass, it costs $5. You take the same whiskey in a crystal glass, it's $10. What happened in between? The customers recognize that there's a quality in the glass difference, so they're more willing to pay. Even though for the bar, the price of the glass varies only slightly, it's still the same whiskey pouring in. So what actually happened is that there's a psychological effect going on in the customers, which made them more willing to pay more. But you, it's the same technique when you change the glass, the whole experience. And coming to the producers, we actually see producers are starting to use this knowledge of, of consumer behavior and communal branding, which fits into this philosophy where they're adapting to service the needs of the consumers because they, they realize that the consumer wants more. They want more experience. They want more unique glasses, more new glasses. So producers are actually slowly learning to use the tools. Yeah, I, I think one, when I think of glasses that make a difference, let's talk about that for just for two seconds. When, when there's a glass that makes a difference, in my mind, the first thing that jumps out is the Glencairn glass, or the Scotch whiskey glass. And when you pour a single malt Scotch whiskey into a thick, clunky tumbler, you might get one price for it. And if you pour it into the Glencairn glass where the person who's going to buy that $35 or $40 single uh, single malt scotch will understand that you, and the way Glencairn people talk about it is the respect that you have for the beverage and you also have a respect for the glass and you show that that guest in, the, in your establishment what that means. They've done a phenomenal job of positioning that glass as the definitive glass. Now there are others and, and there are other, some, some decent ones as well. But that one is the definitive glass for it. And I, and I think that's an interesting uh, case study in the glasses that make a difference. If you're going to serve it in, in that glass, it tells me as a guest, if you're going to serve uh, bourbon, uh, high-end bourbons or, or Scotch whiskeys or, or Irish whiskeys, whatever, in the Glencairn glass, it tells me that you understand what's going on and I know I'm in a good place. It's actually a brilliant example because um, uh, some people would, or mostly would actually just refer to brilliant marketing, which it is. It's, it's brilliant marketing and recognizing it. But I would actually say that the guys behind have, have realized the psychology that w- is within the class and start marking it. So it's, it's actually a brilliant example of how you have the, the psychology of the glass as well as how to use it in a marketing campaign. Yeah. And to be fair, it's not all just marketing buzz. There are some very distinctive elements and components of that glass and its design or whatever that give it, I would call it credibility within the whiskey community. So so it's not just a, a marketing hype or buzz. It actually performs. Oh, I know. As we talked about in like the first segment was with, with the sensory, you still have the sensory perception smell. So so I recognize that you, you, you have those, but I with the glass, they used the philosophy and psychology of the glass and used it in a brilliant way of marketing. So, so it, it goes both ways that they it interacts with one another, the marketing and the psychology. 
Yeah, there, there's no doubt that there's all kinds of elements that go into the vessels that we choose to serve the cocktails in and how it can reinforce that that beverage experience, that cocktail experience. So uh, we're here again today with Xander Loretz and Hansen. We're talking about the psychology of glass. Xander, we're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, uh, I want to talk about where we are now, what's the life going to be like going forward, because we're in a, we're in a tremendous time of uh, change under COVID. And, and even before COVID, I, I think as guests dining out and beverage guests become more and more knowledgeable and the cocktails become more exotic and we get seduced by all these wonderful Instagram pictures. I think things are changing and probably changing very rapidly. So I'd like to get your thoughts on where we may be going as we go forward. So we'll be right back with more from Xander Lorenzen Hansen and the psychology of the glass. This episode of Seat Yourself is sponsored in part by the Edward Don and Company. Everything but the food for nearly a hundred years. And if you have not yet signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, now would be a great time to do so. Go to tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. It's a quick and easy sign up and a great way to stay on top of all the important going ons in the world of hospitality tabletop. That's tabletopjournalnewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody, we're back here with Xander Lorenzen Hansen, and we're talking the psychology of glass today. Xander, before we took a break, I said we've touched on a bunch of different things uh, about where we're at in terms of the shapes, in terms of the sensory impact of the glass itself. Where do you see us going in the future, whether it's driven by COVID or trends uh, that were already started or trends that you believe will be coming? In terms of glassware, what's going on with the, the glassware itself and then I want to talk also about cocktail trends and who's driving the bus now. Yes, so there's a, uh, quite a few questions. Absolutely. I like to ask you a lot of questions at once. Um, so what's interesting is that there, there are many different factors. Uh, I think COVID have actually pushed new glasses, new designs, new trends. And this whole theme of psychology of the glass, I believe, have even been pushed even further by COVID since everything was online, everything was pictures. The bartender was at home, what to do, we'll make some cocktails, make some good pictures. Posted, they got followers, they wanted to get more followers, took some pictures, got more followers. So I think actually COVID have pushed that theme even further. And another interesting thing is if, if you look at 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, how it generally works is uh, glass producer A wanted to produce a glass, they produced it and pushed it to the, the wholesalers B, who then sold it to the bar C. So you had a, a steady flow from A to B to C. And this has been going on for many, many years. Nowadays, you see a changing trend where before the glass producer produced the glass and started branding it and sell to the bars. Now we see more communal branding where the brand is not really owned by the brand owner, but more in, in, in alliance with their community, their uh, the customer base. And with this whole social media taking pictures of glass, we see that some specific glasses has, have been gaining a lot of attention. And older, bigger producers, which are used to producing a million pieces by pushing a button, will have difficulty increasing their sales to niche products, to bars, to, to specific cocktails where the world is so small, it's easy to get some glasses from Portugal to, to the US or vice versa. So glass producers, I believe, will need to restructure the setup to be more 
flexible to produce glasses for maybe only a few thousand pieces instead of a million and listen to the bartenders, to the bars, what are your needs instead of telling them this is your need. Yeah, I, th I think that from the, it seems like for many years, the glassware business has been driven by the manufacturing process. And how can we take cost out? How can we produce more efficiently? And that, that implies a certain scalability. Now with consumers getting smarter, more knowledgeable, seeing more things, the merchandising of cocktails, so to speak, I think now the, I would say the, the needle is moving over to being more consumer-driven, marketing-driven, guest-driven in terms of the glassware used as a marketing tool. And we talked about the earlier in the segment one, we talked about the marketing of the overall establishment, the bar or the restaurant. But still, the consumer knows what they want, and, and you're probably right. They're willing to pay more for it, too. And we haven't even touched on the trends yet, but whether it be mocktails or low-calorie cocktails. But the overarching point is formerly manufacturing-driven and now more marketplace-driven. I like that. Yeah, market and, and to some extent also emotion. Emotion, yep. In the old day, the salesperson came to a bar, here's the glass, you need to take this, you get some, some marketing, uh, advertorials, you get some kind of benefits, here's the glass, push it. That was the old days. It doesn't really work in the same way anymore because the world has become, has become smaller. But if you use this psychology, you can actually sell more. And I know it can be difficult to get your head around it, but if you have this amazing glass, instead of telling the bar you need to buy this, go to a bar, show him, let him feel the glass, let, let him experience, let him play with him, let her decide what is, what is her value based on the product. Instead of you telling her this is what you need, let the customer tell you what is her desire and then you can use the desire to amplify it before it was always a push and pull where now you just if you if you really listen to the customers you can increase your sales much more and, and people are more willing to pay more for quality all you need to do is listen and work with the information you get from them and with this psychology of it i believe that uh, producers can learn quite a, a bit from even though i know they're they're used to they've been in like entire life, their their whole business depending on it, I still believe that this psychology and philosophy can actually gain new customers to them if, if they know how to use it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's a great analogy, but it's, it's certainly an analogy where you see beverage producers now going to different types of adult beverages, whether they be hard seltzers or thing, going to niche products. And again, they're big niches, but they're becoming more nimble. They're reacting to what guests and consumers want rather than saying, we've been making this beer for you know centuries or decades and we'll just keep making more of it. And I think it's the guest consumer, the consumer who's going into the restaurant, the on-premise guest, uh, whatever, they're becoming much, much more knowledgeable and therefore they're demanding different experiences. And I love your term, emotion-driven. I love that, particularly when it comes to cocktails. You know, we just had the Kentucky Derby here. It's uh, normally in May. They had it in September. And I can't imagine drinking a mint julep out of anything other than a metal uh, or ideally a silver-plated cup. So that's an example of another very specific. I have a couple of those, and we don't use them any other time of the year. But when Kentucky Derby comes around, that mint julep right into the metal cup. So 
Anyway, what other kinds of trends do you see when you think about the psychology of glass going forward? What other kinds of things do you see? Do you see cocktails driving it? Do you see this emo- this idea you call emotion? Well, in the different ways, you, you can already see some, and uh, some of the glass groups have already picked it up. If you look at Libby, Libby are producing now tiki glasses in real tiki. This is a trend that's only growing, and I wanted to mention them because they actually recognize that there was a trend when it comes to tiki. Ceramic is very expensive. So what they did, they created tiki glasses in glassware. They found there's a problem. They made a solution. They listened to the customer base and people love it. And other brands are starting to do the same because they recognize there was a trend growing. So, so you, you see on one hand that the one company already recognized the demand. And what's interesting with, with, with tiki is it's, it's only growing. You see more and more tiki even spirit brands are starting to, to use it in their marketing, so which only helps the overall theme of the branding of it. But there are many different trends that is growing. We see here in, in Europe that reuse glass has become quite a strong statement for many bars and bartenders and, and private consumers that the whole eco-friendly reuse theme, which is a strong emotion, is coming into to the glassware. So we see more and more bars promoting using reuse glass. It's still something that's in development, but I think the whole production came from a demand within uh, either bars or, or the private segment. But you also see it with wine and, and craft beer. Craft beer are producing more and more varieties of glasses to fit the beer, which we always see from wine. It's been done for, for ages. And we see that with, with beer as well, that beer, are, beer producers are more and more creating uh, unique beer glasses to fit the smell and the, the taste of, of the beer they want to give to the customer and, and change the, the experience for the customers. So there's many trends coming. Uh, and we also see metal and porcelain. You mentioned Minjulip. We actually see that the container, the glass, is no longer needed just to be soda lime or crystalline glass. It can also be a metal-based or porcelain. So the whole idea of what is a glass is changing while I know that the irony is that the glass is, is a glass, it's in the name, but we see more and more other types of containers, metal, wood, porcelain. So there are many, many trends coming, and I believe many more will come. The trend is growing a lot right now. And thanks to social media, it's difficult to predict because one trend can happen in Taiwan, which come into the UK. Something can happen in the US, which will affect Europe. So it's, it's thanks to social media, it's going very fast. Yeah, I, I love the beverage category a lot because on a whole host of levels, because of all the emotional, all the psychological levels that we've been talking about here. But I also love it because of the profitability for the operator. And if the operator makes money, it, it you know it's going to be pushed and it's going to be successful. And the capabilities of some of the glassware people out there, the manufacturers and producers of glassware, uh, sometimes I have this feeling that glassware producers just really need to be they just need to understand what they need to make because they can make almost anything. And yet, like all of us, you get sort of, hey, we sell gazillions of this particular uh, 16-ounce mixing glass, so why don't we just make 16-ounce mixing glasses all day long? And you can do that. But at some point, if you're going to be the company that's uh, leading the charge, so to speak, in the trends and in, in, in defining the markets, you're not going to make 16-ounce mixing glasses here in the U.S. You're going to try other things. 
And, and I think that there's a value in that. Also a risk. You can produce glass to make glass molds or whatever. It's not cheap. So you have to invest but there's great opportunity, opportunity to drive the guest emotion, that guest experience, drive it in ways like we've been talking about on a psychological and on an emotional level, and certainly a profit level for the operator. So I, lo- I love the beverage category. What well, the, the different way to, 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 to earn on this, if you look from a, from a bar's point of view, COVID has changed the, the landscape. We're in a new standard, and that's just how it is. And thanks, quote unquote, to, to COVID, People are more on social media. There was before, now they're even more. So that they look at pictures. If, if a bar or establishment can use the whole psychology, the emotions, the sensory around the glass, I believe they will increase their customer base. But they also need to do it properly. They actually need to take the time and take some good pictures, not just take something fast on, on, on your phone. For the glass producers, I actually see COVID as an opportunity the world has become smaller. There are more people want, they have a need to be individual. We are all the same, but we're still unique. But people still have the need to show them how unique you are. And that's quite a strong emotion. And if glass producers can, can recognize it and work it into their production line, I know it's easy for me to say, uh, I, I, I'm not the one hitting the button for a million pieces, but I believe that if producers can recognize the emotion of having unique glassware, and build on that, they they will come stronger out of this and head off the competitions. I love the way you're leading this conversation because I agree with you. Producers have tended to show more the practical aspects of the glass, how big it is, how much uh, capacity it has, on and on and on, how, how strong it is. Some of those more practical attributes. People don't really care about that anymore. It's the, all about the emotion. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. The technical is fine, but it's not really what people are going to bar for to learn about how strong the glass is, how much it contains. They want the experience. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And I'd love to see more. I always think of romance, but it's it's actually emotion of all kind put into the imagery, the product photography, the storytelling of the glass and why the shape was important. And a common uh, shape glass of Nick and Nora, I think, has a great story with it. And, and I think it, to me, is another one of those specific shapes that has lots of romance associated with it. It's a smaller portion. I think you mentioned about smaller uh, size cocktails and all that before. And I think that there is a great opportunity to tell a story there. And of course, we wanted the glass to be strong. And of course, we want to know the dimensions at some point. But that's secondarily to the emotion, to the romance and everything else that the guest is going to feel when they order that cocktail in that in that particular glass. So good job. What else would you suggest to an operator or even a manufacturer to try to capitalize on on this trend towards more romance, more emotion being put into the glassware business, the cocktail glass business? Listen to our talks. They're always good. Absolutely. Send us money. And by the way, send us money for them, right? (laughs) Yeah, tune in to this one and hopefully the next. Uh, I think generally it takes two steps back. And I know from if you from a glass producer's point of view, this can be some kind of weird idea. It doesn't really fit the world that they're living in because they're used to pushing the product. But if you took two steps back and actually listened or looked into the philosophy and go on social media, 
go on Instagram and see some of the pictures, you will see that it's it's not the glass, it's technical details that is in the center, it's, it's the whole environment. And even though you, you are not able to taste the cocktail, you can kind of taste the cocktails. So you have the whole psychology behind. And there's not one right answer to this. There's a lot of different things. And I don't have a PhD, so I would probably also take, take other sources than, than me. But like look into it. For a bar and establishment, I think many have already done it well thinking about it. And by looking at it consciously, I believe they will be able to increase sales. It could be by creating a new menu based on social media and picture platforms. It could be inviting their guests to help them create new pictures. There are many different ways. But basically, it is that you recognize that how, how you, you promote the glass, the cocktail, the surrounding, the atmosphere, the motion has a big impact on how the customer will choose your establishment or another. So here's the million-dollar question. Are rock star bartenders... Are they going to become the next celebrity chefs, or are they there already? I thought they already were. They already were. See, that's the right <laughs> answer from a guy like you. I love that. Listen, we've been. This has been great, Xander. I love it. Tell us where uh, people can find out more about you and about Scandic Bar and Mixology International. Well, they can always come on. It's easy to find me on LinkedIn. Um, way too much on, on LinkedIn and, and Instagram, of course. On Mixology.nu or Scandic Bar EU, or else on on your channel. We have done so many talks, so I always refer them to your channels to hear and read more. Well, you're going to have to keep doing that because we want you to come back and we want to talk. We want to break down. This has been a great macro conversation about the, the psychology of the glass, but I'd like to break it down and, and go into some of the very more specific sectors of it. So we'll, we'll love to have you back and do that sometime very, very soon. And hopefully you'll take us up on that offer. I will be happy to come back. It's always enjoyable. Xander, it's always a pleasure having you here. Stay well, stay strong. And anybody has any questions, uh, check out Xander. You'll find him all over LinkedIn, all over. He is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So again, it's been a real pleasure having you join us. Oh my. Thanks a lot, Xander. That concludes this week's episode of Tabletop Journal's Seat Yourself podcast series. For more news, information, and insights on the hospitality tabletop industry, please be sure to check out www.tabletopjournal.com.